You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, the 602 Club, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and quite excited to have the one, the only, uh, Freemason number 12, or level 12, excuse me, Christy Morris. Well, thank you. You know, I'm self-proclaimed because women aren't allowed, apparently, in the Masons, but... Uh, yes, yes. You Aren't you part of, like, the secret, secret women's organization though that like right well we can't talk about it because it's secret (laughs) oh dang it oh uh erase erase that erase this uh cover cover um well let's let's get on with the show um thank you so much for joining us i think tonight's gonna be a lot of fun as we're kind of uh looking back here uh on something that uh well you can find on disney plus now and uh, came out years ago now uh from disney and touchstone pictures and all those places that were so popular back in the day so we're excited to be here though uh, if you like the show, uh, help us out. Uh, give us a star rating review over on Apple Podcasts. Guys, it's been a long time since we've had one, and we would really appreciate your help in growing the show by giving us a star rating review. Help people find the show. I know it seems weird, but honestly, still most of the listens from this show uh, and many podcasts these days still come from Apple systems, whether that's Apple Podcasts or people listening through Apple Podcasts on their uh, device or you know iTunes, all those places. So uh, that really does make a difference, honestly. Of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll want to make sure you're subscribed so you're getting everything that's coming on the 602 Club feed, because we're not just doing uh, the 602 Club here anymore. We've got bonus shows as well, like Snyder Cuts or assembling avengers you can find as well so uh, make sure you're checking that out Um, you can also find us on twitter we would love your follow and in fact we would love to reward you for following us we'll give you the marvel movie of your choice there digitally uh if you just follow us so basically all you gotta do is be following us by october 25th 2021 and um we'll be picking a winner from our followers and uh we'd love to like break that 300 number that would be kind of cool uh, yeah. on social media so yeah if you like the show and you're listening i don't why follow us on twitter and uh you could be rewarded also uh, you can find us on instagram at the 602 club tfm and then we're online at facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm we've got the listeners only discussion group you can join called the babel conference you can talk to listeners from all over the world about what's going on here in the network uh, and then if you go to trek.fm slash contact uh, you can choose a show choose the 602 club if you'd like to communicate with us via email so um, and then we do have some great associate producers here through patreon and patreon is a place where you can make sure that all of the content that's here on the network keeps coming to you each and every week honestly you know it costs a lot of money to podcast and uh, put all this together and so if you would like to make sure that that keeps coming to you 
Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and be part of our team, just like Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah. Thank you guys for supporting the network and, of course, the 602 Club. So, uh, Christy, uh, we haven't mentioned what we're talking about tonight, which is National Treasure, which stars Nicolas Cage. Uh, But... I was wondering for you, uh, is this something that, you know, you had seen in the theaters back when it came out in 2004, or is it something you found, like, maybe later on with your dad, you know, uh, at the video store? Uh, No, actually, this was something that I remember vividly the previews for. Um, I was in high school, sophomore, junior area um, in time, and was really excited to go see in the theater, and I remember going to see it in the theater, and... um, yeah, it was it the same experience for you? Yeah, I mean, this was I I was at this point uh you know, I'm past college now um by the time this movie comes out. And I, you know, I my love of going to the theater is is quite strong and so I definitely remember going to see this in the theater and um you know, I think the thing that really kind of excited me was the fact that this almost had the feeling of like a Indiana Jones-ish type film, mm-hmm. but playing with American history as its background for Discovery, which to me was super exciting because I was a super nerd, and I still am, obviously, um, <laughs> but I absolutely love history, and I love American history. Uh, Revolutionary War history. I mean, I, as a child, I wasn't really a big fiction reader. I was more of a nonfiction reader, and mm. history was a big subject that I was spending a lot of my time reading. And so, this movie was basically right up my alley. You know, smashing together Indiana Jones style adventure with American history. That's cool. Yeah, I definitely agree with you how it feels like similar to Indiana Jones. I was thinking like the Goonies. Um, mm, there was yeah, a time, yeah. you know, if you remember back in like the 90s and 2000s when there were a lot of these like treasure hunt movies. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is definitely action adventure treasure hunt. And then, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. and piggybacking on that low hanging fruit, I'd say, of um, mysticism surrounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. American history, I thought was really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I, I think, you know, uh, the the film itself really does um, kind of play out uh, with that action-adventure genre that, and and I would say in a family-friendly way, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's clearly um, something that's, it, it's very Disney-type influence where, you know, uh, we and we've talked about some of those movies as well. I think that that this comes as a lineage from, which is like, you know, uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues of the Sea and Swiss Family Robinson and Treasure Island and Kidnapped and Shipwrecked and all of those type of movies. You know, this is playing in that sandbox so that um, and and of course, you know, like in Indiana Jones, and so you put all that together, and I, I think. Absolutely. This was something that, you know, to see in the theater, I was really excited to to see. And I, I remember, you know, uh, really enjoying uh, the, the first time um, I, I saw it. And it's continued to be a movie that, uh, you know, not only have 
I uh, I, I watched then, but you know I've rewatched it. Uh, I have it on Blu-ray, you know, <laughs> um, and so um, yeah, it was it was fun to be able to revisit. So now you mentioned kind of some of the story elements here and we kind of alluded to when we were goofing off at the beginning but you know the idea of um the knights templar and the freemasons and those kind of things subjects to which like dan brown would take you know the knights templar and use in his uh books as well um but uh used to to great effect here uh, about this lost treasure and so just story-wise um how do you feel about them just kind of taking all of these elements to create this mystique then around, you know, the American Revolutionary War? I thought it was really cool. And, and you know, like we were saying, kind of a low-hanging fruit, I would say, of an easy way to craft a story, you know, even though it's non it's fiction, sorry, um, it's easy to take those things and kind of put them together in the right way to then make a cool story like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Because there is a lot of secrecy around the Masons. um, And we know that a lot of the founding fathers of America were members of the Masons and that it's this, you know, secret society fraternal organization. And they even apparently have a guard outside of every meeting Mm. to keep Mm. people from finding out their secret business. Um, Mm. But it it seems like, yeah, it seems like whatever you read about the Masons is just, you know, kind of like any other fraternal organization. Um, But there is definitely a lot of interesting history surrounding them and a lot of Mm -hmm. accusations and, you know, even being banned um, from like the Catholic church, they, you know, view it as in conflict with, religion Mm -hmm. um so i thought that it was cool that they found a way to to work that in and that you know like i said the the secrecy around them and then also that there's possibly these things that are we pass by every day like the liberty bell that have clues to a treasure i thought was really cool Mm, yeah i I think that's a good uh point uh absolutely and you know i i think the idea of like the Knights Templar and the Freemasons, there is this mystique and this mythology and this lore about these type of things, you know, and, and these these kind of um, strange conspiracy theories about, you know, these type of groups and, you know, what they mean. And I mean, you know, it, it goes so far as, I mean, we've had other movies about you know, fraternity organizations you see in, you know, uh, American higher institutions like Harvard and those type of places, well-known secret societies or fraternities and and those type of places. So, I mean, to take that and those ideas and then utilize them in this type of story, and like you said, you know, then to take all the things which, I mean, yeah, there's all these weird symbols that have to do with these type of, like, organizations that you know we do utilize every day i'm I'm not as much anymore because not as many people are using uh you know uh, cold hard cash but Mm -hmm. you know when you pull out a dollar bill and you've got these things on it and um so i think all of that really is a lot of fun and it actually i think is a really smart idea in the sense of the way that it plays with 
all of this stuff. And again, to me, as like a huge history nerd, you know, to be traipsing through the founding fathers and all of these things um, and using them and, and using all of these ideas is really fun. And so, um, and I mean, I think, you know, that's the, also the fun, even just for the first trailer, which was that we're going to steal the declaration of independence to save it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, all of that stuff really works. Yeah, I was actually even looking up, you know, trying to confirm if any of the stuff had some truth to it about the, um, you know, the symbol of the pyramid and the all seeing eye and things like that on the dollar bill. Um, But there's, I mean, they they just take a lot of liberties, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So it's not, um, but it's nice to think that there is some hidden meaning behind these things. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. he was even saying that, Zooming in on the clock on the hundred dollar right. bill to confirm what time they needed to be at the place and stuff. So it, it's cool. I just wonder somewhat if this then caused a lot more people trying to go on this kind of treasure hunt for real. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, absolutely. That and I think that's the you know. A lot of people kind of knocked this movie and even the credits knocked this movie kind of having an outlandish plot. But I'm thinking, like, is it all that more outlandish than Indiana Jones, you know, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark or any of the things that they're after? I mean, yeah, Tomb Raider. Illuminati. Yeah, any of this stuff, you know, like, I think that's the fun of creating these type of stories is, is that it creates this over the top plot and gives you uh the ability to kind of dive into the enjoyment of of experience these things in a whole new way and a fun yeah. way and and in many ways you know i think one of the things i really love about the movie as well as is, is just how it celebrates the ingenuity and the genius of many of our founding fathers and the people involved um you know and and it, it's kind of a, a a great celebration of all that was good about that, which is, is really fun. And I think that a movie like this also, you know, kind of helps people want to know more about the real Benjamin Franklin or, mm-hmm. you know, the real George Washington or any of those type of things. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I mean, the, the, nothing could be better. We've talked about this so many times on this show, but um, history is, so important and those who don't learn from or from it are doomed to repeat it and therefore mm-hmm. allowing people to experience quasi history yeah uh, in this way is fun but i to me it, it was one of those things like even watching this movie i was thinking oh man i kind of want to go back and and reread um about some of these people who real people who are a part of this film and and know their history uh, which, you know, I, I think that is a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, even though, like you said, it's quasi history, it maybe makes people look for more information. Um, maybe, I mean, now, for example, I'm definitely interested in visiting the treasury and the U.S. Mint. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I've never been there. Uh, I actually have just been to D.C. for the first time um, only a few few years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I hope that it makes people more interested in American history. Yeah, 
Well, and I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I, it's so strange to me that I have never gotten a chance to visit D.C., and it's definitely a place that I would love to go um, yeah. because I'm so into history and going to those museums and everything, I think it would just be, uh, for me, it would be one of the joys of my life because I just love that stuff already anyway. Um, and so, yeah. And I mean, gosh, I think one of the biggest things they take um, as a liberty is that um, there's actual writing on the original declaration. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost completely faded away at this point because of how old it is and the the, the way, you know, things age with parchment and the ink used then. And so, yes, I mean, if we we're going to talk about inaccuracies, this movie is full of them, but that's not the point of the movie. The, the right. point of the movie is to craft an enjoyable story that you're watching. And I think I would I would add, I wanted to ask you this. As you revisited the movie, do you feel do you feel as that for yourself, this movie held up and that you still enjoyed watching it again or or did it lose any of its luster for you? Oh, it absolutely held up. And I think even brought back that reminder of how much I enjoyed it the first time. Did it feel that way for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I won't give away my rating here, yeah, but no. uh, I, I definitely was in a place where, you know, my wife and I were watching this and I was just having a good time with it, mm-hmm. you know, and Part of that was being back in the film, but I think part of that is that the movie is really well cast. Yes. And that's the thing that really stuck out to me. And, and, and you know, obviously, uh, for some people, Nicolas Cage can kind of be hit or miss, but he was just absolutely perfectly cast for this movie, and he's very funny in it. And I think that this type of role really plays to all of his strengths and none of his weaknesses, actually, um, because I think... It's full Nick Caginess, which is exactly what you need in this role, which is somebody who seems a little bit too obsessed uh, and at the same time really dedicated and likable. And that's exactly what you need in this role. Yeah. Well, and I mean that even though he's kind of riding that gray line between being a quote unquote good guy or not, um, you still want to root for him and you realize that ultimately mm-hmm. he is trying to preserve history rather than steal it. And yeah. that, you know, when he's even offered even just 10% of what the treasure was, he didn't take it. You know, he, he is as a character, a very stand up guy. And I think that they did, like you're saying, cast, cast this role. Well, it plays into Nick Cage's, humor and genuineness rather than his ability to be crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. that is a really good way to put it i, I think you uh, nailed something that i hadn't really thought of there he ha he does have a genuineness here yeah. that really helps and i think his sincerity in the role is one of the things that helps sells it um i 100 percent agree with you on that and um i think it's interesting to to see him um, kind of be able to play this role where there is a really nice balance to his. I mean, I think you know Nick Cage definitely has a crazy quadrant, you yeah. know, like, and you know where this falls is perfectly in line with the sincere. So the you know, 
it, it's 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 just really well done. And I think he's really enjoyable and really likable in this movie. And I, you know, I kind of buy him as being somebody who would be into this stuff too. So, oh yeah, yeah, he does kind of give off that vibe. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not at all. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, who who knows who the real will? I mean, will the Rick real Nick Cage please stand up? Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> but you know, I I think that part of the reason that he works is the partnership that he has with Justin Bartha as Riley, mm-hmm. and that that comedy duo of the two playing off each other was really funny, and I. Forgot how much I like him in this movie and how funny he is and how funny I find him. And that even after all of this time, I still find that character enjoyable and funny. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, Justin Bartha, I think, is very underrated because you don't realize till you look him up on IMDb how much stuff you've seen him in and loved him. Mm -hmm. He was in the Hangover movies. He was in... um, failure to launch uh playing off zoe deschanel like he's he does so well as the buddy like sidekick in a lot of things and um yeah he's really good with the comedic timing he's great at playing the you know i I love that they always have his character have a scene like sean bean telling him to stop talking while he's pointing a gun at him and he's like okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's just so good at that yeah i I think you're absolutely right i mean and he is just a person who is very good with the quick witted comebacks mm-hmm. um i mean i i think my favorite scene for for him is when they're in the urban outfitters and he's like wait is is this how you guys feel all the time yeah like wow this this feels good uh, hold on, I just, I gotta, I gotta enjoy this for a second, you know, like, right? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, not many people can do that without, I think, being kind of obnoxious, and I, I just don't find him obnoxious personally, and I, I'm sure there probably are people that are listening to this and like, oh my gosh, I hate that character, but I mean, to me, I think he's really funny, and and honestly, he kind of reminds me, you know, John Mills and I are doing, um assembling avengers here and he kind of reminds me of darcy from the thor movie where oh, yeah. he's the one you know with the quick wit the whole time and the, the the quippy comeback and the joke and everything and and i really appreciate um his portrayal in this movie so um and then kind of rounding out the triumvirate of quote-unquote the good characters that they kind of end up on this journey together is diana kruger and this is the first time that I had ever seen her in anything, you know, back in 2004 as Abigail Chase. And I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I definitely fell in love. Oh yeah. With the oh, intelligent yeah. blonde. I, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I think it, it was a person that we hadn't seen before. You know, she was a fresh face in, in film really. And, you know, uh, she was different. You know, she has a, a Europe, a wonderful European accent that I love. And I, I think 
The thing about it was is that she played the role against Cage so well as being the straight person. And then as they got to know each other, they realized they kind of shared some of their crazy in the sense of their mm-hmm. passion for history. And I I thought that it was really well done. And she mixes well with Nick Cage and with Justin Bartha. And so you put those three together and I thought they made a really good team and it made it enjoyable then to watch the movie with her in it. Like mm-hmm. you needed her to feel like she could be a part of this club. And that she's not put off as like the damsel they're always rescuing mm-hmm. or a hindrance right, right. in any way. Um, the only thing I have is in an issue with the writing is just that they say in order to bring her in, we need to go to someone who's obsessed. And then they don't really give any other reason as to why they know her name and to go to her. All they say is, you know, we've gone to the FBI and we've gone to um, Mm -hmm. Department of Homeland Security. And then now we're going to go to her. I guess they decided because she's the, main person in charge of Mm -hmm. the declaration and other antique documents. But yeah, they don't Mm -hmm. really give a lot of reason as to how they would know to go to her. Yeah, I I think that's a good point. I I think the only reason that we get in the film to kind of see maybe how obsessed that she is with history is the button collection. Yes. The same one that, you know, he has. And so that allows then us as the audience to be like, oh, well, they really kind of have some of the same uh, obsessions. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have some of the same craziness. Yeah. And um, I think it that's the part where you're, you're right. It would have been, a, a, it would have been nice for them to have expounded on that just a little bit more. Uh, so you, you knew how you, they found her. But I think mm-hmm. this is one of those places where, like, the movie is, I think, already two minutes and twelve, two hours and twelve minutes long. So it's like they're just trying to kind of get there. Yeah, and so but, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, but I think you're right. I mean, I absolutely think you're right, and and you know, I I think it's cool too because, you know, I I I think this is probably her first really big American role, and then you know, after this, she'll go on and do. Uh, things like Inglorious Bastards uh, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where you know she'll get to 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 be in some big stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed her in the role, and and again, I I thought, like you mentioned, and I think this was really important, is that not only does she add a female perspective to the role, and it can give you somebody to en- enjoy in that way, but she's also just as smart as Benjamin Gates. Mm-hmm. You know, she knows her history inside and out, um, just like he does. And therefore, she is an asset for them to have along the way because of her brain, not because right. she's blonde. Not because right? of her and assets. It, <laughs> okay, you can say that. I'm not going to say that. Um, so, but yeah, she's, she's brains over blonde, you yeah. know, like that's really... I think what makes her great in the role and and the writing really good for her. And like you said, you know, nobody comes off as, as somebody who's ever really in distress in the sense of like they're 
in need of rescue. I mean, all of these characters at one time or another are in need of rescue. Right. I think, uh, so they never make a point of, uh, I think, trying to make something special of her just because she's the girl, you know, right. like none of that happens. And, and that's, that's really good for the movie. Um, and I got to say too, you know, before we get to kind of our villain, you know, having like John Voight and Harvey Keitel and Christopher Plummer in this movie, all with secondary roles and supporting roles. It, it reminds me of, you know, like in Superman, when you cast Brando as, you know, Jarrell. You know, you, you mm-hmm. have this immediate gravitas to these roles so that the little bit of time that they have on screen, you kind of know exactly who they are as a character. You know, Christopher Plummer coming off as the as the loving grandfather was perfect. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, kind of really channeling um, a lot of, of what you saw all the way back in sound of music kind of thing once he becomes the more likable character you know john voight has played this type of character before of of the loving father who is exasperated with their child and then you know just harvey Keitel playing a really cool fbi agent that ends up being you know uh, a part of the freemasons in in the end like mm-hmm. all of these characters i thought were were really good and again just a great job casting because they don't need a lot of time on screen to be able to establish how you should feel about them. Yes. Oh, 1000%. I think that, like you said, they immediately bring that depth to the role, that rapport that you want to believe that they're, you know, you want to believe what they're saying. Um, I love Harvey Keitel, especially if anyone's seen all the sister act movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. God, he's just so good in everything he does. Um, and then John Voight um, and Christopher Plummer, it's like they're also playing to the audience that has known these two guys for a long time and seen the numerous roles they've done um, and gets to play them in a more lovable good guy kind of light than especially John Voight has done in, on occasion. Um yeah, I, I thought they were great, and I thought that they did a good job with showing John Voight's character of his dad as having a change of heart and finally realizing that his son is doing these things for a reason and isn't wasting his life. Um, I I think that they did some excellent casting with the supporting roles. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. And, and um, again, I, I just think it really makes a difference when you are are casting these type of roles and and how people will feel about them in the end Mm -hmm. Um, and how well they work on screen, even if they don't have a ton of time is, is can you get people that can portray that very quickly? And I think it also means that whatever's on the page for the script is there for them to be able to do that as well. Um, So, you know, I got to give them credit on that front. And I mean, you know, at this point, Sean Bean had been in the Lord of the Rings movies, and you know, um, I feel bad for Sean Bean because he he's either the bad guy or he dies. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw a meme about or this both. recently. He can or go- he's the good guy who dies in Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> I saw a meme about this recently that was like, can somebody just write a movie for Sean Bean where he gets to have a great day and stay alive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be just a, a, a something that like Sean Bean's great day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he is really good as a villain and he's great at playing up initially that he is not a bad guy. You know, I mean, he's invested financially in this expedition purely off of a clue that Ben Gates had that he's just following into the ground, you know, possibly. So, I mean, for a guy to spend a fair amount of money to take several people to Antarctica to search for something they don't really know is there or what it's going to lead to is a leap of faith. Um and it doesn't really get bad until you see that he his greed overcomes him and that he is ultimately then willing to do mm-hmm. whatever it takes, including killing people or at least allowing them to die without helping them um, right. to get what he wants. That's a really good point. I mean, and I think that is something that Sean Bean is really good at because he does kind of have this charisma mm-hmm. where you want to like him. Um, but he is also able to make the turn to which says, oh, I, I'll kill you if you get in my way. And you believe both. And yeah. that's something that is really important in a role like this to where you do need to believe that this is a villain who, you know, will will do whatever it takes. And... I just like him in movies, you know, I mean, I I think, you know, for me, uh, not only having seen him, obviously, in the Lord of the Rings movies, but, you know, one of the uh, biggest things, I I think, about this was, um, you know, being able to have had him in, like, uh, Golden Eye and mm-hmm. you know where he's he's playing the villain there i think is, is really beautiful in the sense of like it makes complete sense to me why this really works and so yeah i just i just love him in film uh, and in television and i just think he's so good and yeah he's a lot of fun here in this this role and so i'm really glad uh that they cast him here i think it it, it works so um it works exactly the way they want it to yeah, uh, which is yeah. So, um, obviously, you know, this is an action movie. And there's a lot of like action set pieces to this movie, and so I wanted to know, you know, from you, like, how does that work in the film? Like, do you feel like these are good action set pieces that you enjoy watching? Um, was there anything that didn't like, especially as we rewatch it? Was there anything then that didn't live up to your expectations or remembrance? No, I really, when I think about it, I mean, the scenes where they really had to depend on some set pieces were the scene where they first go down the tunnel underneath the church to get mm-hmm. to the treasure, and then the treasure room itself, um, also mixed with some effects. Um, but I think that they did a great job of mixing the two to make it look so realistic and unending in both cases. Um and also the way that they're lit can really affect that. And I think they made wise choices with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's really fun. It, like we were saying also that they get to go to these places like where the declaration is housed or to the location of the Liberty Bell and the steeple and things like that and show you things that 
you know, they may not actually be present there, but make it look like it is like the brick up on the side of the building that he has to dig out. Um, it's just fun and makes you think about things in a different way and think, mm-hmm. well, now I want to go there and see if there's like yeah. <laughs> stuff amiss. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things I was really struck by was not only how well the action works, but how well the writing had been to set up some of the action in the film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they uh, have the FBI, um, telling about you know who he is benjamin gates is and and what his history is and the fact that he had been in the uh, navy rotc uh and so then when he jumps off the aircraft carrier into the hudson you're like okay well he would know how to do that because he'd been in the navy rotc or later in the movie you see him tying some knots as they're making their way down uh the staircase there uh, under Wall Street. And, and again, it's one of those moments where the writing is really smart because they've already mentioned who this character is and what his like experiences are. So that's it, there in the writing to be able to help you understand why a character can do or would know how to do certain things, which that's not in every movie. So, you know, this mm-hmm. this movie went through, uh, and the script-wise, went through a ton of different iterations in the script. But to be able to have that kind of specificity for a character and then some of the actions they take, I was like, okay, that's great. You know, um, I really liked that. And I think, you know, one of the things that is helpful for the movie, too, is that it's never so over the top where it's really having to utilize an aggressive amount of cgi at this point so everything feels pretty grounded which is also really nice um so many movies i feel like in this time period we're trying to push the boundaries um and uh or the mummy returns and in that way we're hurting themselves because they were trying to do stuff they weren't really ready ready for uh or just couldn't do at that point and this is not a movie that does that and therefore i think it's one of those that ends up holding up better than a lot of movies from that time period yeah well i mean and they stuck to more grounded material in the first place for how they're going to do the action sequences i mean you know think about they're really just running down streets kind of going up scaffolding or um jumping off of the aircraft carrier was really as crazy as it got until the scene you know descending into the hole beneath the church um so i think that they also helped themselves in that way by not having anything that they then had to really animate a lot other than those two big scenes um mm-hmm. yeah but yeah. it was one well, i think yeah like the ship at the beginning too you know when they're at the charlotte you know yeah, that's you, true you got some of that stuff with um, but yeah, absolutely. I think you're a hundred percent right. Well, and it's, and then it's action that keeps you on your toes because it's mm-hmm. like chase scenes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also, you know, that with the way that they've done the story, it's building to this big moment that you're waiting for. So I, I mm-hmm. think that they handled that really well. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, that, again, I was surprised to see how much of the movie felt 
more cohesive than I would have thought it would. And, and because mm-hmm. of that, um, so, which is, you know, really nice. Um, was there, uh, I guess uh, one of the things I'm, I'm interested in, you know, as we, uh, kind of round third here, uh, for the film, as you rewatched it, was there anything at all that did not hold up for you? Mm, I mean, not really. Like I said, the only thing I thought was that the um, introduction of Dr. Chase could have been a little more seamless, but uh, unless you're looking for it, you don't really notice or miss it that much. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, I think like you said with the uh, CGI, they did a good job of having, you know, minimized that. Um, and it's just really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly agree with you in that. I mean, there wasn't anything where I found myself rewatching this and being disappointed at all. Um, yeah. one of the things that I also kind of enjoyed about the film and it, it's, it's, it's not like overly ambitious or crazy in this sense, but I liked uh, Trevor Rabin's score for the film and I thought it really fit with the adventure of the movie and was kind of perfectly in line with everything you would want from a score from this movie. And, and I think the biggest thing I can say is it, I don't know if it would be something I'd like just listen to all, you know, over and over and over again, but it works so well within the movie, which is really important for an adventure movie. So, yes, Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's enjoyable, but it's not something that's super memorable, um, nor does it have any huge themes for anyone in particular, but it works well for this movie and it fits with action adventure and keeping the momentum going. And I think has some really beautiful instrumental moments, you know, when it's, um, the romance scenes, um, and then especially the um, scenes where things start to get more serious, where he's worried about, mm-hmm. you know, his father's safety and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely good. It just wasn't like the best score I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I I mean, I, and, and many times, too, like as if a score is doing what it needs to do for the film, that's that's where. It doesn't always have to be the best score I've ever heard. Um, right. Like it fits so, yeah. together well. And it's not, you know, bugging you in any bad way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And and it feels like it's working to accentuate the moments where it needs to as well. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do have one last question because I was thinking about this. Do you feel like the romance in this movie was earned? Yeah. I do. I, I think initially in the gala scenes, it felt a little awkward because it was like they had one meeting and then he sent her a gift and then they're supposed to be, you know, having a, a dance possibly or something and that, that doesn't happen. But I do think that they then build on that because they've gotten to know each other through this process, um, finding out, you know, how much she really is into history. And I like that she says... You know, I may have a German accent, but I am American. I just wasn't born here. Um, 
you know, putting an emphasis on the fact that people don't have to be born here to then become a citizen, but there are people that really want to be an American citizen and go about it the right way mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. are Americans yeah. now, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I admire that. Um, and then also, you know, she, the two of them go through some things that are really difficult, terrifying moments that build that romance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought it was fine as it started to get going more. It gave more more earnestness. Yeah, I, I just I just wondered because, you know, obviously uh, it, it's one of those things where like the kiss kind of comes out of left field. And mm. but at the same time, I think you said it well. These are characters who have been through something together. You can obviously tell there's the chemistry there, especially in that scene in Urban Outfitters where they're having a pretty serious and I would say in-depth conversation emotionally, you know, and, and you can tell there's a interest there between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that all works and then it just kind of comes to a head and, you know, it's a fun end. And so, uh, and I guess I'm really interested then to hear what you rate National Treasure. So I think that you have to look at this movie in the sense of definitely not um, being like a life-changing piece of cinema kind of thing, but um, that you're interested in having a good time and possibly then whetting your appetite to go look at more American history um, that's actually true. So I like a lot of things about it, and I do think it holds up and it's still fun. And um, so I give it a four and a half out of five. Yeah, I was juggling whether or not to give it that extra half, but it's really good. I don't have much to say against it. Um, And I think you rated this higher than No Time to Die. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised about that, too. But there were some issues with No Time to Die that I didn't have here. So it is what it is. Man, that's crazy. Well, I am so glad, though, that you loved it, and I love it, too. You know, I'm not rating it as high as you did, I think, and part of that is just there is kind of this level of what this movie is at, as you were kind of talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think because of that, you know, I'm going to give this a good three and a half out of five stars, which is, to me, it's such a solid movie. Mm-hmm. And I would say I was surprised how solidly enjoyable it still is after all of these years. I think that's the thing to me that really stood out is that I had a great time rewatching it. I didn't know if I that would happen. And I think yeah. that's really impressive for a movie like this to still be enjoyable after all of these years. And so I got to give it to, you know, a National Treasure. It surprised me in that way. And so... I guess in a few weeks, uh, I'll be really interested to see if the second National Treasure still holds up. But before we get to that, Christy, uh, it's definitely time for some recommendations. And so I'm interested as to what you're going to be recommending to everybody this week. So um, funny thing, I don't know why, I guess because I'm thinking when I was watching this movie um, that I was getting a lot more into history because initially in my Um, younger years, I wasn't as interested in history um, until I really found out more how it applied to our lives now. 
and then got to see more remnants of history in person, you know, like cannons and things like that. Um, so I found um, a book recently that I had as part of a history class in college that I really enjoyed. And my husband always thought I was so weird for it. But sorry. Anyway, long story short, um, I recommend checking out the Norton's Anthology of Western Literature, because even though it is a huge book, it's very thick. Um, it's got a lot of the timeless, great stories that are in it. Um, and I really enjoyed, for example, that was the book that I got to finally read, um, Dante Alighieri and got to read, um, what else was in that book? There's a, a million different things. Anyway. So yeah, I, I recommend checking out Norton's anthology of Western literature and there's other ones too, you know? Yeah. It just, it, it has a lot of really good, like it has the Odyssey in it, it you know, all those kind of stories, um, and if you haven't read things like The Odyssey or um, Dante, I recommend checking it out. Awesome. Awesome. And no, I that's so cool that, um, you know, I love all of that type of stuff, you know. And, you know, at least once a year I try to read uh, a book of that caliber mm -hmm. uh, within my reading, um, you know. And so I, that's, that's really cool. Um, I am going to recommend... Uh, I just finished the fifth season of The Expanse, and it's really good. I mean, it continues to be a great show, and the sixth season will be the finale for that. And so, uh, and not only is it a great show, but it's an incredible book series, too. So, uh, if you like the show, read the books. If you like the books, the show is great as well. So, that's what I'm going to recommend to everybody this week. But, uh, Christy. Uh, if everybody wants to catch up with you and see how and see what else you've got going on these days, where could they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, when I'm not here on 602 Lab, I also do a show called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And we dive into geeky topics we don't usually get to cover, like Labyrinth or Return of the Killer Tomatoes or, you know, any number of things. So I hope that you'll check that out at Sabres and Spells on all of the social media outlets as well. But where can they find you, Matt? Yeah, you could find me here, of course, in the 602 Club feed with Snyder Cuts as well as assembling avengers there with john mills both of those shows are a lot of fun of course snyder cuts is about everything that Zack snyder's directed uh and then assembling avengers we're walking through the mcu is a retrospective which has been really fun so far and i i mean this week one of my recommends probably just should have been is our thor episode that's coming out uh on sunday uh, if you think John and I have aggressive negotiations over on the Nerd Party Network where we talk about Star Wars every week, there's some serious aggressive negotiations going on about Thor. Mm -hmm. So you're going to you can't miss it. Um, of course, here on the network, you can also find me doing the orb warp five and literary treks. The orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp five is about Star Trek Enterprise and literary treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And also over on the Nerd Party Network, along with Aggressive Negotiations, I did Owl Post with Drea Kaufman, where we talked about Harry Potter one chapter at a time. And that is a finished show, so you can go back and listen to that anytime. It was a blast, so I hope you'll check that out. But as always, just thank you so much for joining us here at the 602 Club. And y'all come back now, you hear? 